Hey guys, so we're back with another episode. Thanks so much for joining us. You know, this one is a little bit heavier and I wanted to make sure that we gave it the proper respect because so many of our girlfriends um, come to us or talk to us about chronic pelvic pain. And you know, it kind of brings to, to mind, you know, biblical verses of Eve eating the apple she shouldn't have ate, and now we just have to suffer. And there's just so much more to that, and I think there's a lot to unravel there. And so we really, you know, in honor of um, endometrial, um, Endometriosis Awareness Month, um, really wanted to talk about pelvic pain and the ways that we're being seen and not seen as well as what you should be doing if, if this is something that affects you. I think the main thing we want you to get from this episode is that even if we can't see you physically right now, even if you can't hear us, but you hear our voices, we see you, we hear you, we believe your pain. Because I think that is the number one thing that is important in terms of treating pelvic pain, different pain disorders um, that deal with uh, the reproductive system is to believe people and to figure out how to improve. And I know for me personally, when I see a girlfriend in the office, I'm always just like, let's follow up in three months and see how we did, you know? And if it hasn't improved, I'm like, okay, we need to fix this. And that's, you know, where my Olivia Pope of OBGYN comes in at, because I'm like, we gotta fix this. There has to be a better way. Never take no for answer. Do not suffer in silence. Second opinions matter. Um, that's it. my little, preaching method even though it's not the 30 girl sermon just yet but well you know the the origins of you know pain and suffering particularly for women in our community i think there's definitely something to be said for religion right and this you know um bible verse and you know just the story about the origins of pain and childbirth and otherwise um but also about how we're viewed and how we've internalized how to view ourselves and others and the strength that it took for our ancestors to be here to endure what they did. You know, I always say we could literally never pay them enough for enduring mm-hmm. what they did so that we are actually present here today. But part of that is enduring so much more pain than we ever needed to. And just because we're strong and have done a lot and could have endured a lot doesn't mean we have to continue to suffer. You know, sometimes I hear stories from girlfriends who say that, you know, they have to take off days of work. They have to take off days of school. They have to rearrange social plans. They, um, you know, get anxiety if they didn't leave the house with their pain medication, that they've had relationships, um, you know, really be impacted because they can't have intercourse or they can't be physically intimate in the way that they want. And this is all due to, you know, pelvic pain. Um, And and some of that pain can be from their actual menstrual period. You know, unfortunately in some different conditions, the pain can persist beyond your period. Um, It may start that way and then it kind of becomes an all the time thing. Especially when it goes untreated. And I think the thing is, the reason why we're saying it's important to you know, and I always hate that the onus is on us as individuals, as patients, girlfriends, to advocate to get someone to listen to our pain and treat our pain. But the reason why is because that pain can be referred to other parts of your pelvis. And we'll kind of talk about that, especially when we talk about you know, the muscles at the bottom of your pelvis. Like, everybody's getting different messages, basically. <laughs> when you're in pain, it's not good because you tense up, you mm-hmm. know, and your muscles down there will tense up. And 
it can lead to a chronic issue. So really the key thing is to make sure you, you're heard. Yeah. Switch to somebody else if you're not. So let's get into it today. Yeah, so we wanted to bring, you know, a term, our medicalese of the week um, is called endometriosis. And it may be a term that you're familiar with. It may sound like some other things. Uh, but endometriosis is actually kind of a, a pelvic inflammatory condition where the cells that line the inside of the uterus are in places where they shouldn't be. And so they might be in the fallopian tube or in the ovaries or throughout the abdomen or even on your bowel or bladder. Um, or liver. Or liver. And I've actually heard of the lung lungs, too. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, because those cells don't know that they're misplaced, they respond to the normal hormonal cues every time, you know, when they're responding to estrogen, they grow. When they're responding to progesterone, they do different things. And then when they stop seeing progesterone, which happens in the inside of your uterus as well, the cells die and then they exit your body through the uterus. And that is your menses. Unfortunately, the cells that are not in the uterine cavity don't have anywhere to go. So they kind of go through those same cellular death, um, but then they're trapped and they cause inflammation and they cause um, immune cells to be attracted to that area because everyone's trying to figure out why are these cells here. Trying to fix it. Like, fix this. <laughs> Your body's fix trying to like, figure it out. But unfortunately, what that causes is inflammation. It causes activation of your um, neural cells and your, your nervous system, the cells that help you feel pain. And sometimes it can actually cause scarring, um, you know, in the form of like adhesions or cysts in your ovaries or cysts in your lungs that we talked mm -hmm. about um, and create this kind of chronic pain cycle over time. Um, and so that is something that you know, initially was thought to be an issue um, with higher um, incidence in white women. Um, and we've no long, we now know that that's not the case. Like all conditions, we have equal I opportunity. Don't look for it, you gotta <laughs> study it. And so that's the key thing about endometriosis, especially is that the gold standard for diagnosis is that you have to have surgery to actually see it or have pathology noting that you actually have that I even had a patient, uh, sorry, a girlfriend who had it on a hernia repair. It was like in her yeah. hernia, in her inguinal. Um, I've seen it in the umbilicus, in the belly button after so surgery. All these different, you know, like once you have the pathology, you have a pathologist who says they're like a doctor who looks at you know slides or tissue under the microscope. Once they confirm it, they see it. That's when you have the diagnosis, which is hard because that's a lot of steps to go from I'm in a lot of pain to I had surgery of some sort and they found it on a slide. Mm -hmm. So that's what kind of makes the, you know, it's underdiagnosed in our patient population, probably because first of all, someone has to believe your pain. Someone has to value that what you're saying mm -hmm. is true and to have this condition on what we call a differential diagnosis. Anytime some co someone comes in with a symptom, you have to think of all the things that symptom could represent. And so with chronic pelvic pain, endometriosis has to be on a differential for black women. Um, it doesn't matter if you also have fibroids. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you've had a sexually transmitted infection or pelvic inflammatory disease in the past. If you've been pregnant before, if you're pregnant now, if you've had an abortion, if you're on birth control, none of that matters. Endometriosis can still be present and you do have to have what we call a clinical index of suspicion. Is it this or is it that? Yeah. And how do we ask the questions to get to the bottom of it? Um, and, and not so, even just ask the questions, but also like take it as a, 
I look at this issue, so endometriosis is under this big house called chronic pelvic pain. Mm -hmm. And so it's a chronic issue. So just like you have high blood pressure or you have diabetes, those are chronic issues that take management. It's not like, oh, you know, you got pain. All right, see you next year. It's not that type of situation. Just like with your high blood pressure or any other chronic issue, you see your doctor like a couple times, three to four times a year sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that's how I at least look at it. Mm -hmm. And the key thing is to just make sure that you, you know, if things are not working, how can I, you know, this isn't working. How can we do something else? Because I think the key thing is that we have to treat it as if it's something that we have to continue to work on and tweak on to get better. Because we do that in other parts of medicine. You know, mm -hmm. like if your, you know, metformin is not working, we put you on insulin mm -hmm. for diabetes. And there's some new drugs out there that I can't remember right now. So <laughs> charge that to my head. I'm an old school system right now. But, but no, I mean, that's absolutely true. There's definitely lots of different things that can be done. I think the first step is for the individual to know that their pain is real, to make sure that they're expressing that to their provider. And if someone's not taking you seriously, then you should be seen somewhere else. Another thing is within families, we have to stop normalizing period pain. You know, in families, we have young girls who have to stay home, who are, you know, sick to their stomach, vomiting, can't leave the house and as a mom you just say oh she's just on her period no that's not normal actually you shouldn't have that level of pain and so either to take it to a pediatrician to take it to your internist to take it to a gynecologist um to say hey this is this is not normal even if that's something you experienced as a girl or your sisters did yeah. or other women in your family did to kind of intervene and say like this is not an okay thing and let's try to figure out what's next and so I really, really encourage my girlfriends to talk to their family because some cultures, even within black, we are not a monolith. Some, you know, ethnicity specifically within that, oh, we don't talk about that stuff. Yeah. Or oh, you would never tell. Or my auntie died of cancer. We don't even know what it was because yeah. she didn't tell us. I can't ask my mom. I can't. So I said, well, start it with your generation. Ask your cousins. Ask your sisters. Ask the other people who, you know, okay, maybe we can't change, you know, our elders' response, but we can say, listen, I'm dealing with this. Yeah. Do you, have you ever heard of this? You know, my doctor said I have fibroids. Do you, do you have fibroids? Do you have heavy periods? Do you have endometriosis? So that at least you can kind of start to get the family history together and be supportive of each other. And definitely talk to your girlfriends. I, I remember my early memory of like painful periods was mm -hmm. in middle school. Mm -hmm. I feel like everybody had it. Like everybody was like, oh my gosh, it's cramps, it's cramps. And somebody got that good, good. They got that 600 milligrams of ibuprofen. They're like, oh girl, I got you. And I was like at school like, oh. This is a whole new like thing. I'll never forget the first time I had 600 milligrams of ibuprofen. I was like, oh, this is like lovely. I can live again. And so that's the thing. We have to keep that up. Just like you would be at recess in middle school. Keep that up when you have brunch with your girlfriends. Like you have to make sure you keep those communication lines open because someone might have some information that you don't have and vice versa. So family history is essential, but also just making sure you stay up on what's new because those things are really important. Okay, well, today we figured, you know, we talked so much about pain. Uh, we do want to make sure that you're aware of some solutions. So today for our City Girl Sermon, we are going to be preaching to you about ways through. How can you make it through these pain? Mm. How can you... Jesus, make a way. Yes, make a way. <laughs> Instead of, you know, just kind of dealing with it and bearing with it, there are things that can be done. You know, the whole gamut from, you know, very minimally invasive, taking different medications, um, different interventions, and then sometimes surgery is part of that too. 
Um, and so I know Dr. Joy has some things that she loves to use. We talked a little bit about, you know, just incense. Yes. And, and, and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. These are um, like ibuprofen and Motrin and naproxen or lead. Yes. Some people love that. There's only twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> Those. And then also, you know, the key thing with the incense, though, is the timing. Because mm -hmm. This requires you to actually know where your cycle is happening because when you know your cycle, then you take it the day before you're supposed to actually have your menses because it actually decreases something called prostaglandins that make your uterus more likely to contract or make tissues throughout your abdomen that might have endometrial-like tissue to, con you know, to kind of cause pain. Mm -hmm. So when you do that in that first day with without any pain, then you're preparing yourself so that you don't have as much pain when you actually are in your period. Super so important. So it's timing more so than just taking the medication. Mm -hmm. It's not taking it when you feel pain, it's taking it in preparation for pain and then just continuing it with some food to make sure you don't mess up your stomach. Or taking it when your pain is small. Don't wait until the pain mm. is 10 and you're, you know, can barely keep anything down. Take it, you know, in advance is actually the best. Or when you first get that first twinge, get on it, yes. take it on a schedule. And that's actually, you know, the first kind of course of action for, um, you know, menstrual pain and pelvic pain. Um, you know, the next thing is, you know, a lot of people are surprised to hear this, but different forms of birth control are actually used as medication for pain. Because if your pain is mostly related to the menstrual cycle, to the menses and having cramps, or you know the creation of the hormones that can create you to have menses, then our job is to kind of turn those hormones down to give you some pain relief. A lot of times this includes medications that may help you skip your period. It's actually medically okay to not have a period if we're inducing that with medication. Yeah. Not just on your own and you're not having periods for years, but if we're doing it with medication, it's safe to do. And so sometimes using birth control pills, um, and then we would skip, you know, what's called the placebo pill so that you don't have the lining of the uterus shed. Uh, we can use that with estrogen or without. We have even, you know, used Mirena IUDs, which is an intrauterine device with progesterone. It can stay in the uterus for like, what, five to seven years. But because it's given a constant steady flow of progesterone, it one, it makes a lot of women's period goes away. But two, it can significantly um, decrease the amount of pelvic pain that women are having. So, you know, this is something that's commonly used. We have lots of other kind of hormonal adjuncts you may hear of. Some people have to take, you know, injections of medication called Luprolide or um, Lupron. Um, we're using aromatase inhibitors, things that, you know, previously were used for, still used, but in different dosing um, for cancer therapies and even for fertility reasons. But if you use it in a low dose every day, it can actually decrease um, the amount of hormones that you have. So there are lots and lots of options. Again, you know, talk to your provider, your PCP, your GYN. If you're not getting the response you need, maybe try to seek out someone who specializes in chronic pelvic pain or endometriosis because they're going to have a few more tricks up their sleeve. So can I talk about my favorite yes. treatment? So anytime someone comes to me with chronic pelvic pain, whether you have the diagnosis of endometriosis, and like Dr. Tia said, some doctors don't have a differential. So you can just ask the point blank period, do I have endometriosis? Because then that puts it on your differential, <laughs> period. But uh, I will say that pelvic physical therapy is OG. I know a lot of people, I've seen a lot of things on social media talking about it when, as it relates to postpartum and pregnancy. 
But seriously, in gynecology, it's my go-to. Really having, and shout out to all the great public physical therapists out there. You guys do magic. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your service. Um, really, it's a lot of different maneuvers that they teach you that you can also do at home, but it's really sometimes they use dilators, sometimes they just use your digits or fingers um, to really get at where some of that pain gets referred. So we talked about this before. If you have things in your abdomen, those little implants, what we call like endometriosis plant implants or whatever is causing the pain, there's just like a small layer of tissue between that and your muscles. So your whole bottom of your, of your pelvis is like muscles, like a basket weave of muscles. And when you get tense, or you get lots of inflammation, they kind of get hard. Just like you get knots in your back when you're stressed at work or when you're like always on a desk like this or, you know, doing the same motion, then you get the same knots. And so essentially a pelvic physical therapist can actually kind of help you work out those knots and work out those kinks, work out that inflammation, that referred chronic inflammation so that you can kind of loosen those muscles and lose some of that pain. Because I think really, this is just my theory. I have not read a book to say this, but a lot of <laughs> the different pain, it starts off as just like, oh, it happens periodically. It happens just in my period, but it becomes chronic because once the muscles get hit, then it's just literally like your muscles are always going to have to be on. And so really, I really appreciate public PT. Um, that is always something I do adjunctive to any medication I do. I always refer patients because it's something that's beyond what I can do. And it's also very educational. Because mm -hmm. I think really pelvic PT teaches you a lot about your body mm -hmm. that you wouldn't otherwise know. Yeah, it's, it's management of the chronic issue for sure. Um, and then there might be some other, you know, pain medications that we use for different reasons. Like you like gabapentin, um, you know, seeing a pain specialist can even be part of your treatment plan. And I've had patients and girlfriends who are you know, dealing with pelvic pain and just attacking it from different kind of ways. So pelvic floor physical therapy, maybe on hormonal suppressive therapy, and then actually may seek a pain therapist uh, or a pain specialist to make sure that they're addressing their pain in the best way possible. The last one I'm gonna add is a therapist because mm. living with chronic pain can really affect your mental health. Um, and so, you know, sometimes there may be a connection there, particularly if you've ever experienced, you know, sexual violence or sexual trauma, um, you know, surgeries, um, and just, you know, the feelings that come from chronically being in pain and what that does to your life, what that does to your relationships. And so there could be a huge mental health component that we want to make sure you're addressing as well. And that's not to say that you're crazy, but I tell patients, this is the, you know, biggest thing I think I learned in residency was, you know, that emotional pain can show up as somatic pain. Oh, absolutely. And so it's not to say like, oh, it's in your head. That's why we want to talk to a therapist, but more so how do we work with the traumas and all the different things that have happened to you so that you don't refer that emotional pain to your body. And honestly, I feel like you're right. Therapy is like, it's golden because I think a lot of that stuff is suppressive. Just like, you know, if you imagine if you, the way Dr. Tia talked about the endometriosis, it's in some crazy dark places and assist, it's kind of like walled off. That's how we do sometimes our emotions. And if we don't kind of work out that those same things, then we'll never get past that and we will still continue to feel that pain. So that's definitely a great point. You know, it's funny. I had a girlfriend come recently um, who suffers from a condition called vaginismus. And this is when the, the supportive muscles, that basket weave of the pelvis, including what surrounds the vagina, are very, very tense. 
Um, it's very tight and it just makes everything uncomfortable. You know, I mean, can insert a tampon, um, you know, very difficult time with vaginal intercourse, lots of other things. And, you know, we were talking about them, we can manage and she's working with a, th a physical therapist and, you know, we have things in place. But just thinking of like the origins of her specific vaginismus, and she told me that she think it came from a very religious upbringing mm. where sex was very vilified and, you know, just this fear around sex and around, um, you know, what could happen and loss of virginity. And, you know, it, it became this big kind of trauma. And I think that is something that's very underappreciated in yeah. a lot of women. Because I think about it in terms of I have patients from literally every corner of the world. Um, a lot of my Muslima patients and, you know, conservative Jewish patients, you know, go through the same thing. Any culture where virginity is kind of on this huge pedestal and sex is really kind of vilified and put in a back dark corner, women tend to have a lot of vaginismus. Um, and that is a huge, huge thing to just remember and think about and for us to have compassion for. And I remember that when I was in uh, graduate school, I actually worked at an African women's clinic in London mm -hmm. and we actually did procedures to release scar tissue from female genital mutilation. Mm -hmm. And I actually wrote about this in my personal statement for medical school. There was this one girlfriend and you could see that she was kind of reliving the whole trauma. She had just gotten married and like sex was not going well with this scar tissue and wanted to get it released. And you could see the trauma she was going through. Like I'm supposed to be there, you know, exam you know, just watching like, oh, this procedure is happening. I went to hold her hand because sis was going through it because mm -hmm. all those same things that she went through when she was a child being, you know, having this procedure done, having to soak her labia so that, you know, she would maintain her virginity, all those kind of feelings came back in this procedure, even though we used, you know, numbing medicine, all that, but still that's that psychosocial part of it mm -hmm. that kind of still comes back into our bodies. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, we talked about so many different things. I know that you had a story from a, a friend recently. Yeah. So we usually do that around the way, girl. But I will say we are inclusive here, gender and youth inclusive, and people who do not identify as girlfriends, but just friends, non-binary, all the good things. We also want to support their stories because people who have reproductive organs that are of female origin, I guess we could say, they still deal with these same diagnoses. And I had a friend who I actually performed a hysterectomy on. They no longer wanted their fertility or their reproductive organs um, because they want to completely transition to a different um, sex and removed the uterus and the pathology came back with something called adenomyosis. So adenomyosis is similar to endometriosis. I kind of think they're like cousins of each other. Mm -hmm. Instead of the, the lining of the uterus kind of going out into the abdomen and other places in the body, it kind of invades into the muscle of the uterus. And that makes periods or menses very painful because if you imagine like that tissue is supposed to be shed like Dr. Tia talked about out of the uterus but it says honestly kind of going deeper into the muscle and really like just can be really inflammatory and really painful and it's something that's often hidden that we usually just can't see until we do pathology so I circled back to the patient and I was like you know they did not get their uterus removed for this purpose so that's why I asked like did you have painful periods when you were having periods like before you were on medications you know to transition and he said yes i thought i was crazy everyone kept telling me i was crazy i was having these crazy painful periods and they were very young friend like not even like you know in my head even i always think of adenomyosis oh you're in your 30s you had a c-section or something like that like no children 
early 20s and already had adenomyosis and he was so relieved that wow like i'm not crazy there was something there and this is just to remind you that there are diagnoses that you should go along with what you have it's just a matter of if someone goes to looking for it or not mm -hmm. so always advocate for yourself do not think you're crazy find someone else that is just the key pivot that's right so thanks girlfriends it was so good having you please live a pain-free weekend pain-free week a pain-free life we wish you lots of relaxation and rest. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Here's where to find us. Hi, I'm Dr. Joy Cooper. I am a board-certified obstetrician gynecologist based in the Bay Area of California. I am currently not seeing patients in person anymore. I'm completely 100% telehealth. You can find me at Culture Care. Our website is OURculturecare.com because we do it for the culture, our culture. We are a telemedicine startup that is connecting Black women with Black physicians at the cost of a copay. So if you would love to see me and you're based in California and New York shortly, you can just go on our website and see me. I am Dr. Tia Jackson Bay. I'm a board certified obstetrician, gynecologist, and infertility specialist. The long name for that is reproductive endocrinology and infertility is my field. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York. And you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Tia Jackson Bay. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe and check out our website, ndgfexp.com. Have a great one, girlfriends.